This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Anchored in Christ. I'm Deborah Owen and I'm here with Reverend Dr. Sarah Singleton. And we're in the middle of a sermon series called Soul Searching based on John Ortberg's book, which is called Soul Keeping. And um, Sarah, this is a sermon that your husband, the Reverend Dr. Jim Singleton, wrote and preached called Living Eternally Versus Temporally. Now, neither of those words are commonly used today. Can you please describe what they mean and um, how they relate to the condition of one's soul? Well, temporally means that we're living in time. And time has a beginning has an end, birth, death, and all the things that take place inside that are measurable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Calendars and watches um, help us to measure time. Mm -hmm. And what it means is temporally that we're living as though that was it, as opposed to eternally, which some people think of as just ongoing life and mm, unending <laughs> it is it is a life that has no beginning and is life that has no end it's it's eternal it was from the beginning it is past any type of end it is ongoing mm. that's the life of god who has no beginning and no end so the issue is how to live temporally where we're measuring Mm -hmm. ourselves in time in the presence of eternity which is beyond time without a beginning without an end so it's learning to live in time in the presence of the eternal god and all Mm -hmm. the happens in light of that Mm -hmm. and so eternity is actually going on right now correct and i think that's the piece that's hard to wrap your head around right and it was uh saint uh, Augustine, who said that it is it is the present where eternity intersects time. Mm. So to live in the present, in the awareness of God, with God, then we're actually uh, participating in the in the eternal God. Mm. It's only in the present. We can know the past, we can anticipate the future, we can regret the past, we can fear the future, we can live presently with God, which then affects all things. Mm, mm. Okay, that's helpful because you're right, otherwise it feels like eternal is something that is going to come In and it's future. going to be unending, right. as opposed to something that's already happening and we're participating. And we're participating. That's okay, that's very helpful. Um, now, in this sermon, uh, Jim tells several stories and parables, and he, he has one of them is the idea that you have to put everything back into the box at the end of your life. You can't take it with you. Uh, my father has a saying, which is, when, when you die, the shroud doesn't have pockets. <laughs> and um, so, yet at the same time, we focus so much on our possessions and so little on the adage that you can't take it with you. Why, why do we do that? Well, um, I want to add another little adage. Mm-hmm. That is that there has never been a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Right. So <laughs> our possessions don't go with us. Right. Why do we focus so much on possessions? 
I would think one, comfort. Mm -hmm. um, we want to feel good. Mm -hmm. But the other would be perhaps it, it can be measured. We can measure our value or we can compare ourselves with others or we can um, sort of add up what we have done in life based on whether that's the plaques on the wall mm -hmm. or whether that's the number of great golf clubs we have in the corner or whatever it is that we possess. The problem is without an eternal relationship, accountability in the present, we begin to be possessed by our possessions. Mm. And we begin to be, in a sense, receiving our own name by our possessions right. versus being named by the eternal God who then allows us to have the right values of possessions, which are always to be used for love. Mm. So love God, love people, use things mm. versus love things. Use, use people. people, right? We see that too often. Yeah, that flips it all on its head. Um, so, what would it look like if more people live with an eternal mindset as opposed to a temporal mindset? Well, I, I appreciate the word mindset. I would I would say we we know the word mindfulness. Mm. I would say mind being uh, uh, living in an attentive awareness that. God's eternal life makes all the difference now and corrects our values so that we are loving God and people and using things. Mm -hmm. And if more were, or all people were, then I would say that we would experience a lot more heaven on earth mm -hmm. because um, we would be living as reality is mm -hmm. is is set up to be and that's why we have so much sorrow and loss and minimization of people and uh, devaluing um, and uh, unloving actions is because we've lost eternity in our midst mm -hmm. all right that is uh, powerful words and um, so let's go into the sermon one more time, you get a substitute teacher, in effect, preacher, and so if you misbehave, I'll understand why that is. We do that with substitutes, but our text today comes from Luke chapter 12. It starts at verse 13. We continue in our Lenten study on the soul. Let's think about what God is doing with our soul today. Listen to God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns 
and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Eat, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. Let us pray. Lord, allow your word to speak into our lives in such a way that we are those who would value what you are doing with our soul more highly than what is going on with temporal things. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to start today by talking about games. Kids are in worship today. Let's talk about games. Your favorite games. Well, my favorite game, I think, is still the grand old Monopoly. I know we live with video games, but I like board games a little better. And Monopoly, oh my, and Monopoly, oh my goodness. It's kind of fun. I heard a story by my friend John Orberg once who was describing how he grew up playing Monopoly with his grandmother. And in John's early days with Monopoly, he was very concerned about hanging on to his money. Meanwhile, his grandmother bought up every property on the board. And as she accumulated all of those, she would watch young John land on boardwalk one time too many, and all of his money would be gone. And he would have to put his little race car marker away, wondering why he lost to his grandmother again and again. But when John was 10, he spent one summer playing Monopoly nearly every day with a neighbor kid named Steve. Grad dawned on him that the way to win the game was to make a total commitment to acquisition. What his grandmother had been showing him for so long finally sank in. You've got to buy these properties and get the rent when people land on them. And so he got very good. That fall, his grandmother came for a visit. He was so excited. His palms were sweaty. He was twitching with excitement. And slowly and cunningly, he drove her off the board. He looked at his grandmother, this woman who had taught him how to play the game, and he took everything she had in utter defeat of her. It was the greatest moment of his young life. He had won. He was the master of the board. But then his grandmother had one more lesson to teach him. And to teach him. Perhaps the greatest lesson came at the end of the game. It's when she said, now, John... It's time to put all the pieces back in the box. All the houses, all the hotels, 
all the property, boardwalk, park place, the railroads, the utility companies, all went back in the box. All the thousands of dollars, they went back in the box. You see, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. Now, John didn't want it to go back in the box. He wanted to leave it out as a perpetual memorial to his skill in playing so well. He wanted to bronze it so that others could admire his tenacity and his ability, but it was not to be. After the game, it all goes back in the box. Do we know that about life? Do we know that at the end of the game, it's all going to go back in the box? Jesus is asked a question. Let's look at the context. He's in a crowd, probably thousands, and in the middle of that crowd is a man who has a request for Jesus. He wants Jesus to divide, to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. You see, in that culture, older brothers always got the majority of the inheritance. They got two-thirds. Any other brothers had to divide the other third. So if you had several brothers, your little share of that third could get to be rather meager. And it felt... So this man is asking Jesus to fix the inheritance law. He wants it changed. He wants his brother with all that two-thirds to divide some of it with him. Now Jesus really declines the request. It's very rare when Jesus declines a request in the New Testament. Most people who ask Jesus for something get it, not this man. This man is asked and Jesus says, who am I? to divide this between you all. You see, Jesus knew his job description. He knew that wasn't what he was here for. He, he knew that he was not Robin Hood. He was not Spider-Man. He was not Judge Judy of the people's court. He knew his calling. And then Jesus up and warns, Jesus up and warns the crowd. He warns the crowd Watch out for all kinds of greed. See, he's not talking to the man now. The man made the request. The text says he's talking to the crowd. Watch out for all kinds of greed. We've learned now, I think many of us, to watch out for scams. Are, are you kind of watching out for them? And are you learning to watch out for identity theft? Yeah. And in this part of New England, are you watching out for ticks in the spring? As the, yeah, you're watching out. But are you watching out for greed? In fact, tell your neighbor, whisper it to him, watch out for greed. Would you tell your neighbor, watch out, watch out? And comes up with a sentence, I don't think anyone in North America would naturally agree with. Do you know there's a sentence in the Bible that I don't know has really landed in us? It's, it's verse 15 
the B part of that verse, where Jesus says, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Did you see it? Did you hear it or did you just kind of erase it? Because I don't think that's a natural verse for us to assume. I think we even doubt that verse. We live in the most consumeristic generation the world has known. I wonder if Jesus knew how hard it is to go to North Shore Mall in Peabody and not buy something. I don't know if Jesus ever had to click on Amazon and just on Amazon and just not buy something. One of the mottos of our era is the one who dies with the most toys. You know, the era. You know it, see? You know that better than you know the verse. Paul wrote to Timothy that if we have food and clothing, to be content. Do you define your life by what you have? Or do you define your life by your soul and what it is? Because there are things you see that money can't buy that Jesus regards as very important. So Jesus tells a little parable to drive the point home. A parable means it's a picture alongside reality so that we can see it even better if it wasn't clear enough. So he says, the ground of a sin yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do And I want you to listen for how many first-person pronouns are in this. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store up my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. The first thing you've got to notice in that parable is the usage of I. It's all about me. Me, 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 mine, 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 mine. There are lots of me's and my's and I's in that one little story. The farmer discovers a bumper crop with no place to put it, so he engages in a conversation, but with whom? With himself. He didn't talk to God. He didn't even say thank you to God. He didn't talk to his brother or his sisters. He just talked to his own little soul and he made a temporal decision about his soul. We will aim at this life and not think about the next one. Live now, soul. You know, it was the temporal decision that caused Esau, I'm hungry, to make the decision in the passage that Dan read to us and give away his birthright for just one pot of lentil stew. I would not do that for lentil stew. I'm sorry, I just wouldn't. But for this farmer, let's review what matters most to his soul. Harvest large crop, build bigger barns, achieve financial security, rest, eat, drink, be merry, try not to die. In some ways, it's the American dream. 
It's picturing a buffet line every day, a waterfront property on Martha's Vineyard, the line from the musical Rent, you are what you own. Isn't that the object of the game? Or is there going to be a day when you have to put the game back in the box? See, the farmer in the parable forgot that you can't take it with you. As the old adage goes, have you ever seen a hearst pulling a U-Haul? So suddenly there's an evaluation of the suddenly there's an evaluation of the rich farmer. When God says to him, "You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you." Then who is going to get what you've prepared for yourself. Who's going to get it? John Capozzi, financial person, once wrote, the executive who works from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. every night will probably be both successful and fondly remembered by his wife's next husband. <laughs> Think about that. So the things that matter most are the things we tend to postpone in doing. We rush out to the one-day sale at our favorite store, working on our version of bigger barns, and we put on indefinite hold and suspension, things like time with the poor, a walk on a beach with a child who may need to feel cared for, a luncheon with a friend who needs encouragement, and above all else, the essence of our relationship with God. We really think we're going to get around to it tomorrow, and yet tomorrow it gets squeezed out by our bigger barns. Things that are eternal are God and other people. And your soul and faith, hope and love and joy and the recreation God wants to do in you. Things that are temporal are your possessions, your resume and your reputation, your body and even to some degree your health, your SAT score, temporal your titles and possessions, temporal. Your money, temporal. So Jesus offers a summary statement at the parable. This is how it's going to be for people who store up things for themselves and are not rich toward God. Or as Eugene Peterson translated, translates it, this is what happens when you fill your barns with self and not with God. Now, of course, in this world, we have to, quote, make ends meet. But being rich toward God means letting God enlarge your soul. And that takes attention. It means loving and enjoying the people around you and making an internal investment in them. It means expressing the values of the kingdom of God in this world. It literally means feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. It means what, making what is temporal that has to be done to be lived in service of what be lived in service of what's eternal. Your soul really matters. Does it consist in the abundance of our possessions or something 
more. The farmer asked the right question with his bumper crop. What do I do with it? But he came up with the wrong answer. I'll keep it. So Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher and theologian, once painted a little parable. I'll close with that. He gave a parable of a thief who broke into a jewelry store at night. He thought the thief was actually the devil. But he didn't steal anything. He just changed the price tags on everything. So that the things that looked that were cheap actually suddenly looked valuable. And the things that were really valuable looked cheap. You see, this parable is one of the ways Jesus is trying to put the price tags back on the right things so that we value the right things and not make a mistake with our souls. They are eternally knit to our God. Let's pray. Lord, now take your word and drive it deep into our hearts that it will stay there. And as we come to your table, O Lord, begin the with elements that look small to realize what they are doing as healing nourishment for our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.